All right, today I come to part three in the sermon series on biblical revival. And I want to begin by reading the foundation scriptures that we've read the last two Sundays. The first coming from Psalm 85, verse 6. The psalmist asks God a question. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? And the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. And as I said, in the midst of the years makes reference to the present generation. Revive your work in this our generation. We've read about other generations. We want to see God revive his work in our generation. And so this morning, I want to speak to you about revival from the perspective of the resurrecting of something that has died. The resurrecting of something that has died. Let us pray. Father God, we bless your name, we honor you, we glorify and magnify you, O God. And as we open your word before us this morning, O Lord, we ask that the Spirit of God will teach us. We ask that the Spirit of God will show us truth from the word of God that will make us free. And we pray, Father God, that the word will be a source of spiritual food to our spirit man today. That we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. Revival as the resurrecting of something that has died. I want to read 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, where we see this concept in action. And we see the word revived used in this way. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. That's revival as the resurrecting of something that has died. Let me just mention a couple things that we started out with just to refresh your memory and uh, get us all on the same page. First of all, a description of revival. Del Faisenfeld, he said, or he describes revival as revival is the moving of God's spirit through the power of his word to the hearts of his children that resurrects to new life those areas which have been lying stagnant or out of balance. And that results in new love and obedience to Jesus Christ. I also said Selwyn Hughes describes revival this way. He says, revival is God bending down to the dying embers of a fire that is just about to go out and breathing into it. 
until it bursts again into flame. In revival, he says, men and women come alive to the life of God. And then also, the importance of prayer in revival. Dr. A.T. Pearson, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. R.A. Torrey, in this book, The Power of Prayer, he says, there have been revivals without much preaching, but there has never been a mighty revival without mighty praying. And David Yonggi Cho, in his book, Prayer, Key to Revival, he says, if you desire revival, there has never been, nor are there now, any shortcuts to revival. The only key to revival is prayer. And then I gave you the words that are translated revive, revived, or reviving, and our idea of revival that are used in the scriptures. First, there are two Hebrew words in the Old Testament. The first is mikyah, and this word is used 12 times, and it simply means to recover life. The second word is kaya, which is used twice, and it is translated, or it means to live anew, to make alive, to refresh, to restore, and to rebuild. And then the one Greek word that's used twice in the New Testament is the word amadzo, which simply means to recover life. So in all of those words, Old Testament words and the New Testament word, all of them carry the idea of bringing something back to life, restoring something that has been lost, rebuilding something that has been broken down, and this morning, resurrecting something that has died. Now let me go back to 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, to set our pace here. The Bible says, Then Elisha died, and they buried him. Elisha was one of the major prophets in the nation of Israel, one of the most powerful prophets in the nation of Israel. And uh, the scripture says, He died, and they buried him. And then it goes on to say, And the raiding, hand, the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. Every year during springtime, a group of, or a band of raiders, thieves, would enter the land of Israel to steal their crops. Every year, this was their practice during the springtime. And so, it goes on in verse 21 and says, and it says, with that in mind, so it was, as they were burying a man, a funeral service, a funeral, a burial was going on. And it says, as they were burying a man, suddenly they spied a band of raiders. As they were taking this man to his burial place, they spotted some of these Moabite raiders coming in. And they knew exactly what was about to happen. And so they made up their minds, and they made a decision, we're going to get out of here. And so it goes on and says, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. So they just decided, we're going to get rid of you, buddy. We are getting out of here. But it says, and when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. This was a dead man put in the tomb of another dead man. But that dead man during his lifetime 
carried such an anointing of God upon his life that apparently even after his dead body was placed in the grave and now it had deteriorated to where there were just bones that that anointing was still on these dead bones. Think of that. Think of it. Because the Bible says when the dead man came into contact with the bones of Elisha in Elisha's grave, that the dead man revived. He came back to life. Let me read this from the NLT. It says, once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the body they were burying into the tomb of Elijah, which was nearby. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Now imagine if you were responsible for putting him in there. And all of a sudden, you put in a dead body, and all of a sudden, the dead body is back to life again. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead comes back to life. Well, that's revival. That's revival. When we as dead Christians come into contact with the living spirit of God, we come back to life. And we are again positioned to where we should be and where God expects us to be. And we experience the reviving power of a living God. Now, one of the greatest pictures of revival in the form of a resurrection, because that's what I want to use this morning, revival as a resurrecting of something that has died. So one of the greatest pictures of this, remember I said to you uh, over the last couple of weeks that the Hebrew language is a picture language. And it's written and it's used to present us with things that we cannot just read, but also picture in our minds. And so one of the greatest of these pictures of revival and resurrection is found in Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 14. Now I don't know how many powerful great sermons I've heard from Ezekiel 37 with Ezekiel and the dry bones. But I trust this morning that you'll hear something a little different than maybe what you have heard before as it relates and connects to revival. Now in Ezekiel 37 and 1 through 14 as a, as a preacher, I like to be true to the context and the proper interpretation of the scriptures. And so I would first like to be very clear that what we are going to look at today was a specific promise that God gave to the nation of Israel. Now we've used it, as I said, to preach powerful sermons about the Valley of Dry Bones. But this was a specific promise given to the nation of Israel. It's a spiritual vision that God gave the prophet Ezekiel about how he was going to revive and restore his people Israel. Now, verses 11 through verse 14 tells us that very, very clearly. Usually, we preach verses 1 through 10 and then make application of it to our situation. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. All I'm saying is to be true to the context and the interpretation of the word of God, we must always keep in mind that this was a promise given to the nation of Israel. Now, uh, does that mean that God won't use some of this to do things in our lives? Of course it doesn't mean that. God will use his word to speak to us and do and accomplish what he desires to do as he uses his word 
as it is ministered to, ministered to us. But first of all, let's take a look at that. I want to establish that, verses 11 through 14, and then we'll look at verses 1 through 10. The prophet says in verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So keep that in mind. The whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, people of Israel, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Same truth. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. That's the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So I just wanted to set that and make that clear uh, because I don't just want to spiritualize the scripture and then, you know, you give an impression that the word of God is not actually giving. But in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10, there are some powerful elements in the process of this mass resurrection that Ezekiel sees that can assist us in our understanding of revival. And so that's my intention today. So let's begin then, Ezekiel chapter 7, let's begin at verse 1. I am not just preaching a sermon from the text, I am preaching the text itself. So let's begin. Verse 1, he says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. The first thing the prophet says is the hand of the Lord came upon him. That means this all originated with God. This was God's plan. This was God's purpose. This was God's doing. The hand of the Lord came upon him and brought him out in the spirit of the Lord. So the first thing he says is, I was in the spirit when this happened. And so this was a spiritual vision and not an earthly, literal valley full of men's bones. This was a spiritual vision that the prophet was about to see. And he says, he brought me and placed me in the midst of a valley. Not on a mountaintop, in the midst of a valley. Now as I said to the early service this morning, sometimes our great greatest experiences with God is not necessarily on the mountaintop. And you know, sometimes we associate the mountaintop with the greatness of God's blessing and the greatness of God's experience or our experiences with God in this life. But sometimes, even in the valley, we experience God in marvelous and mighty ways. While we are walking through valley experiences in life, God ministers to us in ways just like he does when he ministers to us on the mountaintop. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, when I walk or though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So God is with us on the mountain and God is with us in the valley. Linda Randell sang a beautiful song. She said that God is the God of the mountain, but he's also the God, also God in the valley. And so this experience, this vision takes place in a valley. You see, uh, this valley, he says, 
was full of bones. Now the valley could have been in the vision now. Keep it in the vision. The valley could have been an ancient burial ground or it could have been an ancient battleground. A burial ground where dead are buried or a battleground where there was a great battle of some kind at some point in time and uh, thousands of soldiers died in the battle and their remains were left in the valley where the battle was fought. Because most of the time, most battles in the Bible are fought in the valleys. Not on the mountains, but in the valley. Because it's a flat plain and it's an easy place to do warfare. And so that could have been uh, 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 what was happening in this vision as well. Either a burial ground or a battleground. And as a result, a lot of dead people happen to be in that particular location. And as a result of years of being in there, the only thing that remained was their bones. And so that's the, that's the context that we are going to look at revival uh, through the lens that we are going to look at revival through this morning. Now in the text moving forward from verse 1, there are four essential elements in this vision of a resurrection revival that I want to share with you today. Four essential elements that are a part of this resurrection revival that can help us as we think about and talk about and pray about revival today. The first essential element that we see is introspection. Introspection. Introspection is when we take a look within ourselves. When we take a look at our own situation. When we take a look at our own surroundings. When we take a look at the circumstances that we may find ourselves in. We take an introspective look and see what's happening on the inside or what's happening around us. Verse 2 he says, then he caused me to pass by them all around. So God told uh, Ezekiel in this vision to walk through the bones, to walk all around the bones because he wanted him to get a good, clear vision and understanding of what was about to happen. You see, or let me read the rest of the verse. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, very many dry bones in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And God wanted him to see that and, make, and, and, and to make sure that he understood what was happening there in the valley with these bones. You see, God also wants us to acknowledge our present condition. If we are ever going to experience the revival power of God in our individual lives and in our church, we need to acknowledge and admit what our present situation is. If we are dead or if we are dying, we need to admit that. We need to accept the fact that this is the situation and we need the help of God. If we decide that we are going to live in denial of our present situation, we will never experience the revival fires of God. But we have to admit and we have to acknowledge that we are in a state where we need revival. We are in a situation or in a position or in a condition where we need revival. We have to be the ones to look introspectively and admit and acknowledge that to God. If we live in denial, we will never experience the power of God in this way. And so what Ezekiel saw were very dry, bleached dry, dead man's bones in 
the valley. And let me say this to you, my friend, as a Christian. If you are not in a vibrant living relationship with God, you need to acknowledge that. If your relationship with God is not what God expects it to be, you need to acknowledge that. If you know you are not living how God expects you to live, you need to acknowledge that because you're in need of a revival. And as I said to you before, there have been many times in my life when I've been in need of a personal revival because there have been times when I've grown slack in the things that I know keeps me strong and keeps my relationship alive with the living God. There have been times in my life where I have not been consistent in doing the things that I know provides me with the kind of spiritual life and power that I need to live a successful Christian life. You know, and listen, I know, you know, some of us may, may not be prepared to say these kinds of things, but what you see is what you get. I have been in times or places in my own spiritual life where I have needed the reviving power of God to bring me back to where I knew God expected me to be. Now, I'm not saying that I had backslidden. I'm not saying that I had turned my back on God. Never in all the years since I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I said this last week, at the age of 21, and I'm 63 now, you do the math, never turn back for one single minute of one single hour, of one single day, of one single week, of one single month, of one single year. But what I am saying to you is there have been times during that journey where I have pulled away from the things that I know God expects of me in order to keep the fire of God uh, uh, flaming and burning in my own personal relationship. And the good news is that every time, like uh, the prophet Ezekiel, I took an introspective look and acknowledged my situation to God and cried out to God to bring me back to where I know he wants me to be. He has answered it every single time. Because all God wants is for us to acknowledge that we need to be revived. And he will do the rest. As long as that is what we want, God will always do his part to get us back to the place where we ought to be. And so that's very, very important. And then in verse 3, the prophet says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? God asks the prophet the question. Can these bones live? The prophet is looking at a valley that is filled with dried bones. And God asks him the question. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel obviously being a prophet filled with the wisdom of God. Uh, and... Uh, Perhaps realizing that God was, was putting him to the test, Ezekiel answered God and said, Oh Lord God, you know. See, that to me was a great answer. And God didn't get vexed and upset because he answered him that way. That was a great answer because he took the focus off of him and put it back on God. See, God was asking him a question, as I said, perhaps to test his faith or uh, to know and understand what his spiritual perception of these kinds of things might be. 
But Ezekiel turned it around and he said, oh Lord God, you know. You see, sometimes in our lives when we are faced with these kinds of things, we believe we know how to fix it. Now, if we are following the directions and the guidelines that God has already given us in his word to fix it, that's fine. But when we do not know how to fix it and we try to convince ourselves that we do know how to fix it and then the methods we use do not produce what we expect, then that's when we come to the stark reality that I am totally dependent on God because I don't have in me what is necessary to make this thing work again. And so, uh, Ezekiel said, Oh Lord God, you know. And so in, doing, in making this statement and giving God this answer, as I said, he took the focus off himself and placed it on God and in doing so, he acknowledged that God had to make this happen. If these dry bones were ever going to be anything else other than dry bones, the prophet is saying, God, you have to make it happen. You have to make it happen. I don't know if they can live, but I know that you are the kind of God that is able to make them live if they are ever going to live again. So, Lord, you know you are the one who can make these dry bones live again. And you see, this is very important because one of the things that we've got to realize is that God is the only source of true revival. We can't manufacture revival. We can't make revival happen. As I said earlier, we can't uh, just hold some services and call it revival. God is the source of real, genuine, and true revival. So just as Ezekiel said, oh God, you know whether or not these bones can live. We also, when we are thinking about revival and praying for revival, whether it's personal or whether it's corporate as a church, we also need to understand that God is the source of real revival. We can pray, we can seek God, we can desire, and we can express all of this to God. But he is the only source of real revival. And so the prophet was instructed by God, take an introspective look so that you can see exactly what the, what the situation looks like. You can understand the gravity of it. And you can also understand that if it is going to change, it has to be changed by my power and not yours. And so that's essential element number one, introspection. The next essential element that we see in the text is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord and its importance to revival. In verse 4, the prophet says, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. If anything is ever going to come back to life, if anything is going to be restored, if anything is going to be rebuilt, if any life is going to be recovered, it begins with the hearing of the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is an intricate part of any revival experience. If you have ever been in a place where you needed a personal revival 
in your own life, I can guarantee you if you experience real revival that the word of God played an important role in that. Because usually that's the first place God sends you back to. The word. Especially if that's something that you've not been doing. And as a result of not feeding your spirit man the word of God, you are, are drawn away and you become dried up in your relationship with God. That's the first place God will send you back to. And so the word of the Lord is an intricate part of any revival. Now when I say the word of the Lord, I am speaking about the written word of God. It's number one. The written word of God. You will never experience real revival if the written word of God is not a part of the revival process. And secondly, the rhema word of the Holy Spirit. That is usually a word from the written word that the Spirit of God breathes upon when you read it and it comes to life, so to speak, in your heart and in your spirit. And God speaks to you something that is revelatory, something that uh, it doesn't supersede what is already written. It just gives you greater insight, greater understanding, and greater inspiration of what you have read. And God speaks those kinds of words, rhema words, to us as well. And then thirdly is the preached word of God. We're talking about the word of the Lord. The preached word of God is absolutely important to any revival. And I, I mentioned to you when uh, we went to the Brownsville revival at Brownsville Assembly, one of the things that stood out in that revival was the powerfully preached word of God. Every single night, the word of the Lord declared, and I'm not talking about some uh, mamby pamby mishy, mushy, watered-down, compromised word of the Lord. I'm talking about the clear word of God. When it was a salvation message, it was a clear salvation message and hundreds of people would come and give their lives to Jesus Christ. When it was a healing word, it was a clear biblical healing word. There was, there, there, there was no, no playing around or, or, or no emotional uh, 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 substitutes for for that to try and bring about some kind of a healing it was the declared word of the living God with regards to healing and that's how people received healing in that revival when it was a when it was a a word to bring deliverance to the captives and to set those who were in bondage free it was a word from the word of God that was specific and clear and as a result of that those who were demon possessed those who were subject to other types of, of physical bondages in their lives, whether it was drugs, whether it was alcohol, or any type of bondage like that, because of the clear, declared word of the Lord, they were delivered and set free right there, right in the church, the same night the word was declared. But what characterized the revival was the preaching of the word of God. And so the word of the Lord is an intricate part of any revival. And lastly, we have the prophetic word of the Lord because that's exactly what's happening here in Ezekiel 37. The prophetic word is being declared. Now, we live in a day and an age when the prophetic is something that has become almost like a spiritual or religious cliche. 
People throw it around left, right, and center. Prophetic, this prophetic, that, and prophetic, the next. The prophetic word of God is absolutely real. The prophetic word of God is absolutely biblical. Don't get me wrong. Just because a human being might mess it up doesn't mean that it's not for real. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because somebody gave you a prophetic word that didn't make any sense or didn't add up. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there is a real prophetic word. And in revival, that prophetic word often comes forth. Now let me mention to you what I believe God gave me as a definition of the prophetic word of the Lord. The prophetic word of the Lord is that word which is spoken into the present situation as it exists while also declaring what God wants it to become. Now follow me. Whatever the situation is, when the prophetic word comes, the prophetic word is spoken directly into the situation just as it is. And while that word is being spoken, a part of that spoken prophetic word is also a word that declares what God wants to do about it. We've got to remember that. You know, a prophetic word is not um, 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 jump, jump, jump three times and spin around ten times and run around the middle second of the church five times. That's not a prophetic word. All you're going to get is sweaty and tired. A prophetic word speaks to a direct situation and speaks into it the life of God, speaks into it the desire of God, speaks into it the, the plan and the purpose of God for what's he, what he wants to do in your life or in a church at that particular time. That's a prophetic word. And so the prophetic word is also very important in revival. And so the prophet goes on in verse 5 when he says, Thus says the Lord God to these bones. The prophetic word is about to come forth. You see, uh, God gave him the prophetic word to speak. Watch the scripture now. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Not thus says Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God. All Ezekiel was was a mouthpiece. All he was was the vessel through whom this word was about to come. All he was was the human voice that was going to declare the word of the Lord. But the prophetic word is the word of the Lord. It was his word and he told the prophet what to speak to the bones. You see, if you and I ever take it upon ourselves to speak prophetically, and it's not a prophetic word from the Lord, we're going to mess somebody's life up. Or we're going to mess some situation up. Because we are going to tell somebody to do something that God has not spoken and that God has not told them to do. And if they act on the word of the man, of a man or a woman, then whatever the consequences are, they will be responsible for it themselves, not God. Because how many times... In this world and this church age in which we are, we are living, that we have heard so-called prophetic words go forth and they were not real prophetic words from God. And somebody did something that messed up their life. But when the prophetic word comes from God and it is the voice of God, things happen. And things that God wants 
to happen is what happens. And so the prophetic word comes forth. And here it is. Verse 5. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Well, what a, what a word. And you know, that's the kind of word that I want to hear from God when I am not on the mountaintop in my Christian life. When I am not all that God wants me to be and all that I can be with him. When my fire has died down or gone out. That's the kind of prophetic word that I want to hear from the Lord. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Verse 6, I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. That's the prophetic word that God gave to Ezekiel to speak in this vision and speak to these dry bones. The direct word of the Lord. He didn't have to make anything up. He didn't have to think about anything to say. He didn't have to rely on his own mind or his own intellect or his own experience or his own knowledge. God put the word in him and he spoke. He says, I will breathe into you and reignite your flame of fire. That's what he says to Ezekiel to speak to these bones. I will breathe into you and reignite your flame of, your flame of life. I will rebuild the lost parts that are necessary for your strength. So I'm going to breathe into you. Then I am going to rebuild the lost parts of body life that were necessary for your strength. You see, I'm going to put the sinews back in place. I'm going to put the muscles back in place that are necessary for your strength, he says. Then he also says, I will cover and restore the exposed evidence of death. Your condition in that valley, the dry bones in that valley were nothing but the evidence of death. And God says, I'm going to breathe into you. I'm going to put the sinews back in place. And I am going to cover you with skin so that there will be no more evidence of death. In other words, something miraculous, something supernatural is about to happen. And what looked like death in that valley, God is going to transform it and bring it back to life again. He is going to revive those bones once again. And then he says, then you shall know that this is the Lord's doing. Then you shall know, he says, that I am the Lord. Revival, real revival, as I said a million times, is always the Lord's doing. It is always the Lord's doing. And that's why when we hear the voice of God, we need to be able to detect it. We need to be able to sense it. And then uh, we ought to obey it. And so if we are thinking about, praying about, desiring, uh, looking for revival, we need to make sure that we have sensitive hearts, sensitive minds, sensitive spirits, sensitive ears to the voice of the Lord because he is the one who is responsible for revival. And we need to hear what he is saying. And then as we move to verse 7, he says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. 
God gave him the word to speak. God gave him the prophetic word. And now he says, I uttered that prophetic word. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. In other words, as he said, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live as he prophesied and declared that word. Something began to happen. He said there was a noise. There was a noise. Now he doesn't say whether it was an extra loud noise or whether it was a quiet noise. All noise is not noisy. When Elijah... Elisha's predecessor was in that cave. The Bible said there, was, said there was an earthquake. An earthquake, you got plenty noise. There was a fire. You see the force, the destructive force of a fire. And then he said there was a still small voice. The still small voice was just as noisy as the earthquake or the fire. It just depends on the degree of your hearing air. Trust me, the still small voice was just as loud in the prophet's ear as was the earthquake and the fire. So what I'm saying to you is, all noise is not necessarily loud, rambunctious noise. And so there was a noise, the prophet said. Once the word, the prophetic word was being declared, while it was being declared, there was a noise. Now this is very important because the first signs of revival might seem small and insignificant. Small and insignificant. There might be some signs going on right now as we are here in this church. But we can't see them. Or we may overlook them. Because they are insignificant. They are not an earthquake yet. They are not a raging fire as yet. But we may overlook them. Because it's just a noise. But it's not a very loud noise. And so, the first signs, as I said, might seem small and insignificant, but please remember, raging forest fires begin with a little spark or flame. You see, what we focus on is the raging flames. That's what gets our attention. That's what gets the news people out to begin to report from the site or to record the raging fires. Nobody's around when the spark hits the dried brush in the forest. Or nobody except the arsonist is around when they light a match and throw it in the dried brush in the forest. The only thing that gets the attention is when it becomes a raging forest fires and millions of acres are destroyed. And so what we need to make sure that we don't do is miss the small things that are the beginning points of a revival. Because that's how God works a lot of times. And the prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10, For who has despised the day of small things? 
In other words, he says, don't look down on small beginnings. Don't look at something that God is doing just because it's small right now. Don't overlook something that God is doing because it might seem insignificant right now. Whether it's in your life, whether it's in the church, or whether it's in the nation. If God is doing it, it is never insignificant. It is never small if God is doing it. So we've got to make sure that we don't find ourselves in this kind of a position. Because raging fires begin with a little spark or a flame. Now let me say this to you. While we have been praying and preaching and talking about revival, I honestly believe that the small spark has already begun. And that small spark is in action at 6 a.m. every single morning as prayer warriors get up early in the morning to pray. That's how most revivals began. At 6 a.m., it may seem insignificant. It may not seem as something all, all that important. There's not 500, 600, 700, 800 people gathered in the sanctuary praying. Maybe that might get our attention. But the 120 might seem a small amount. But that's all there was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and God turned the whole world upside down from that point forward. 120. So I believe the spark has already been lit. And this spark was lit not by me. This spark was lit by God. Please understand. I did not decide that we are going to have a prayer meeting at 6 a.m. in the morning. This was a spark that God placed in the heart and the mind of our prayer minister. All she wanted to do was pray at 6 a.m. She had no idea that it would have lasted as long as it has. She didn't start it to last this long. All she wanted was a few people to pray. And she kept asking me as time went on, Pastor, uh, um, you think we should stop now? Are we, you, know, you think this is enough now? 30 days, 40 days, 50 days, 60 days. You think, you think, you think. And I said to her sister, I didn't like this spark. As long as God has this spark going, you will have to pray and we will have to pray. I don't care if I have to get up in the morning and take the baby out of my eye. I don't care if I have to get up early in the morning and didn't have enough sleep the night before. It makes no difference. If this is God, then this is where I want to be. The one thing that I don't ever want to miss in life is God when he's moving or God when he's working or God when he's speaking. And so I believe the spark has begun. And I encourage you, those of you who don't tune in, man, the Zoom link is available. Click it on in the morning. Get up out of that bed. Get that sleep out of your eyes. And pray. Join the prayer meeting. Because we have no idea what this will result in. No idea. All I know is what God has.
I said about this church. For those of you who don't know, the former pastor, senior pastor of this church, for 34 years, listen to me, for 34 years, laboring as senior pastor in this church, and God gave him a vision that people were lined up Collins Avenue South, Collins Avenue North, trying to get a seat in this church. And that's when we had the church over there. Not even this big sanctuary. Half the size of this sanctuary or less. That's when the vision was given. And that's why I believe this building was built. To accommodate more people. But hear me out today. That was a vision. And I respect this man highly. I don't think and I don't believe that there is anybody more spiritually minded than he is. I don't believe there's any pastor who did anything more greater than he did in his years of pastoring this church. And I respect him highly as a man of God. And if he said God gave him that vision, then God gave him that vision. So we don't know. We don't know if finally, after all these years, the spark of that revival has been lit at 6 a.m. every morning. We don't know. We could be looking at a situation where you better, you'll better thank God that you are able to find a seat when you come to church now. Because the day could very well come as that vision comes to pass that you will have to stand outside in the sun to try and get a seat in here on a Sunday or whenever else we are having a service. We have no idea. Then the Bible says, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. That's why you can't be out of place because a suddenly might happen. A suddenly is when you least expect it. A suddenly is when it was not really planned to happen. A suddenly is when it has not been set up by man to happen. Just like the day of Pentecost. Suddenly, all together in one accord, in one place, and suddenly, they didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus told them to stay there because something's going to happen, but they had no idea when. And suddenly, it happened. What if Peter had decided? But I, I gotta go to KFC. I, 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 I can't, I can't, I've been waiting here long. I've been waiting here long now. I mean, KFC been shut down for weeks. I need, I need to get to KFC. He would have missed God. So suddenly, let me go on. Time is running by, running by quickly. And I already had to rush through this 8.30. Suddenly, there was a rattling. When you least expected, the flames might begin to kindle than you least expected. There was a rattling. So I want to make sure I'm in place when the noise starts 
And I want to make sure I'm in place when the rattling starts. Because I want to be one of the rattlers. When the rattling happens, I want my rattle to be shaken. Hallelujah. Dear God, I could preach a sermon right there. Is your rattler shaking? Is your rattle able to shake? I want to be there. I don't want nobody to tell me anything. If something happens and I should have been in church when it happened and I wasn't there, I don't want nobody to tell me. Don't tell me. Because I I, I, I'll already be shame. I missed it. So don't tell me because you're only going to make it worse. Let me come and experience it for myself. And so there was a rattling. So that's, that's number two. That's the second essential uh, element, which is the word of the Lord. Now number three, let me move a little quicker. The third essential element is unity. Unity is an essential part of any revival. The prophet says, and the bones came together bone to bone. For this resurrection to have happened, the bones had to come together. God had to bring the bones together. And that's what he does in revival. He brings the people of God together. One mind, one heart, one soul, one objective. All personal agendas put aside. And one agenda, and that's God's agenda. The bones came together. Revival will always unite a church. Listen, the revival fire will burn up the obstacles and the hindrances in the church fulfilling its God-given purpose. Revival fire will do it. It will consume everything that's a hindrance to what God wants to do. And it will bring the people of God together. Psalm 133 Verse 1, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Life is a result of unity. And unity is a result of revival. Revival, unity, life. It's this unity that causes death in the body of Christ. And division and distraction and disturbance in the body of Christ. But revival brings unity and unity brings life. Unity is connected to the anointing of God. That's why the psalm begins with the anointing oil that's poured upon the head of Aaron, the high priest. And it ends with life evermore as the anointing oil flows down through the rest of his body. And so revival brings life forevermore. And a united people of God, a people united, a people of God united results in life. And that's exactly what we need. Now let me do number four and wrap this up. The fourth essential element is the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we'll never see revival. Because the Holy Spirit is the agent of the Godhead. That's the active one in revival. God is the source of it. It flows from him. 
Jesus Christ because of what he has done in establishing the church by us being regenerated and born again. That's his part of the work. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually does the work of it all. He brings it all together. And so you can't have real revival without the Holy Spirit. So if you have any objections to the moving, working, and power and manifestation of the Holy Spirit, then you will not be comfortable in revival. At Brownsville Assembly, there were some young people. Their lives were so overpowered by the Spirit of God. Listen, some of them developed, I don't know what you would call it. You saw it. Some of them started this kind of stuff. And they couldn't stop it. I'm not talking about some, some, uh, 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 some Pentecostal, you know, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I ain't talking about that. This is something that their, listen, their bodies, their bodies, their physical bodies were so impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit that they actually lost control of some things. They weren't crazy. They weren't stupid. They weren't demon-possessed. When you got in that revival atmosphere, the power of the Spirit of God was so strong that their body started responding without them having anything to do with it. And they couldn't stop it. It stopped when the Holy Ghost stopped. So if you are afraid of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not talking about foolishness. I'm talking about the genuine power of the Holy Spirit upon you. If you are afraid of that, then you will be uncomfortable in revival. Because that's going to happen. Now, you may never do experience what they experience because the Spirit of God works in different ways on different people. But he's the one who makes it all happen and pulls it all together. And so verse 8 the prophet says, indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. When God created Adam from the dust of the ground, everything that Adam needed to be a human being was created in him. His mind was there. His eyes, his nose, his mouth, his ears, his heart, his lungs, his stomach, his intestines, his kidneys, everything was there. But it had no life. Everything that said he was a human being, perfect, because he was created by God. Everything was there, but it had no life. His heart was there, but it wasn't beating. His lungs were there, but they weren't breathing. It wasn't until the Bible says that God breathed into him that he became a living being, body, soul, and spirit. That's when it was all activated. When the breath of God entered into that created body of Adam. Before that breath of God, he was just there. So what am I saying to you today, church? It's one thing 
to look like you're alive, but you're not. It's not enough just to look like revival is happening. There has to be the breath of God. There has to be the breath of the Spirit of God that is breathing into us and breathing into a church and breathing into a country. Then real revival takes place. We can put everything together. We can orchestrate some stuff. We can design some stuff. We can lay out some things that might look like revival, that may make us look like we're alive. But if there isn't the breath of the Spirit of God being breathed into us, we'll just look like it. It's not enough for you just to look like a Christian. Or for me to look like a Christian. Or for me to talk as Christians should talk. For me to throw scripture around because I know a little bit. It's not even enough for us to pray. Because Muslims pray too. More than us. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching, good. They pray three to five times a day. Some of us have a hard time praying once. So what I'm saying is just because it looks alive doesn't mean it's alive. Just because we look like a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that we really are. Life comes when the Spirit of God comes in to the situation. He brings the life. And then the prophet says in verse 9, he also said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now, that's just, that's just an illustration or an example that God is using so that the prophet can understand that the breath has to come from someplace other than the people in order to bring the life of God. And so what he's symbolizing there is the breath of the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit, the pneuma, the wind, the breath of God. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. You can't have a spiritless revival because it is the spirit who gives life. And God is saying to the prophet, it is the breath of the spirit that will cause the bones which now have skin on them, which now have sinews upon them, which now have the form of a human body, it will be the breath of the Spirit of God that will bring it to life. And so he prophesies. And verse 10, our last verse, he says, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. And the next three words, and they lived. Breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Listen to me today, church. This nation of ours, 
This nation of ours is dying to see the resurrection of this sleeping giant called the church in the Bahamas. Thousands and thousands of churches in this country, but yet there's so much crime, there's so much evil, there's so much murder, there's so much bloodshed, there's so much wickedness, but yet this land is filled with churches. You know why we don't see it? Because the church is a sleeping giant. And the church needs to be resurrected. The life of God needs to flow back into the church of Jesus Christ. We have a form that we are alive, but we are dead as a church. That's why the power of God is not seen and manifested the way it could be in our nation. And that's why the devil walks around this country parading himself around as though there is nobody to stop him. I'm not saying that there aren't some things that are happening, but there's so much more that could happen if the church represented in our country was to be resurrected and revived and become that exceeding great army. Because that's what we are. We are an exceeding great army. We are the army of the Lord. The church is the largest constituency in this country. There is no grouping of people in our country that is larger than the church. So if we are the largest constituency, we should have the largest amount of power and authority. So because we don't have that and we don't exhibit that, then it's obvious that there's something wrong. We are not where we ought to be. We need a revival. I need a revival. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah. Thine the glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Thine the glory. Revive us again. I don't have time to point my finger at my neighbor or my Christian brother or sister. I need to keep that finger pointed here. Revive me again, oh Lord. I don't have time to point my finger at the church down the street and complain about the church down the street even though there might be things to complain about because the revival that we desire has to begin in this church. God will take care of the church down the street. But the finger needs to be pointed at us. And that's my prayer. May each soul be rekindled. With fire from above.
revive us again. 